Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. talk about is the gifts of healing, and I would entitle it this way, Does God Still Heal Today? Does God Still Heal Today? I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit has so deeply challenged me, has so deeply convicted me of areas that I have just believed that just, it's just not in the scriptures. And I'm asking you to go on a journey with us today, because we're going to really dig deep into what the Holy Scriptures say, not what we've seen or, or have not seen, but what does the Bible declare, and what does it really look like to be a follower of Jesus? And so we're going to unpack this question, does God still heal today? I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be heavy on the scripture side because I know that there's, there's so much misunderstanding that I want you to see it's not my words, it's in the word of God. I don't want anyone to take it from my word and I would encourage you to go dig even deeper after this to see God's heart for breakthrough when it comes to sickness. Because if we think that it's God's will for this, how can we ever pray against it? For we'll think that we're actually warring against the very will of God. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it it classifies it this way. It's the gifts of healing. It's the gifts of healing. It's plural. Because there's nothing that the blood of Jesus hasn't paid for. There's gifts of healing for every type of sickness and disease. And I want you to know this right now as we're just laying down a foundation right here. I want you to know something that the purpose of the gift of healing, just as we share with the other gifts, one First and foremost, it glorifies Jesus. When you see it used in the book of Acts and people begin to say, oh my goodness, look what these men have done. The first thing they said is, guys, no man is a healer. No man is a healer. This is the spirit of Christ. This is Jesus Christ who has healed this man. The purpose of healing primarily, as we see, is an extension of the gospel of the kingdom. It's a way that God expresses his love and compassion. Well, because of sin, there have been multiple effects of that, one of that being sickness and disease. So when Jesus came and declared the gospel of the kingdom to liberate people, yes, from, from bondage in terms of not being saved, but the gospel of the kingdom speaks into liberating from every effect of sin, which includes sickness and disease. And I, I want to, I believe as we just go through some things here, it's going to stir faith. Not just for today, I believe there will be increased activity in all of your lives as you live daily on mission, as you go and minister the gospel of salvation, that you'll sense the word of the Lord coming to you to also pray for that person, and then you'd have faith to believe that God wants to move in that place. Let me share this scripture with you. Just don't even turn there. Look on the screen because I'm going to share a lot of scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. And again, I want to I address this question, does God still heal today? And this is what it said. This is Paul's words, just laying down a foundation. Paul says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. How? By what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders. Through the power of the Spirit of God. And then he says this, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul says that a full presentation of the gospel includes not just speaking it, but demonstrating it as well. 
If we don't lead to an actual demonstration, it's actually not a full presentation of the gospel. Paul says this over and over in 2 Corinthians and many other places. Yes, we should teach that Jesus is deliverer, Jesus is healer, but it's another thing then for that to be demonstrated in the midst. And I, I, I'm telling you, I just I know God is going to move in this place, and it's going to spark something in our body that's going to lead to activity uh, of, of the Lord moving in this way for, for weeks and for the rest of our time together. There's a story that I came across. Let me share it this way. There's a story that I came across in a several different, actually, I, I've read it a few different times. One of the books I was reading was, it was called The Way of Life. And the story is like this, and I think it really puts a, a, a proper perspective of where we are at as, as a body today. And the story goes like this. It's a true story. It says that there was a pastor who was working on a new, I think he had a new building or a building project. And the problem was he lacked skills to really help at all when it comes to carpentry work. No, it sounds like a story about me, but <laughs> this, this is, could be me to the T. <laughs> so he was begging to be involved in this, and basically everyone was saying, look, you, you don't know what to do, and they finally said, okay, you want to help? Here's what you can do. They said, we need 100 two-by-fours cut to eight feet in length. And he says, I, I can do that. I can do that. So they left him that night to start cutting away. And after he cut the first board, he measured it and cut it. He had the brilliant idea. I thought it was brilliant at first when he read it. He said, I'll save some time. Instead of going back to the original measurement, I'll use the previous cut board. So every time he cut a new board, he used the previous cut board to save time. Now, some of you may understand the problem with this is that every time you cut a fresh board, it's about an eighth of an inch longer than the previous one. So in the beginning, if we just had a few boards, you may say that's not that big of a deal. But when you cut over 100 boards, by the end, he had boards that were over 9 feet long. <laughs> but my friends, this is what's happened in the church today because Christ has set a standard for us. And instead of looking to the original standard, we've gone by looking to generation to generation to the generation past. We've looked to denominations. We've looked to church traditions. And we've gotten our eyes off of Jesus Christ and we've lost sight of what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Man, can we just be real? Look, I love having times together of Taco Tuesday night, ice cream on Friday. That's great. There's a kingdom aspect in that. But can we just be real? A follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, what it really looks like? He said, preach the gospel and demonstrate it. There's healing. There's deliverance. God says you're going to walk in power. This is the call that he has for each and every one of us. Jesus actually said in the Great Commission, he taught this. He says, go out and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. What did Jesus command his disciples? What did he model and then teach them? He said, listen, come to me. I'm going to give you authority. Now go out, proclaim the kingdom of God, and then demonstrate it. Healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead. For some reason, when we read that scripture of doing all that Jesus commanded us, we, we just reduce it to moral and ethical teachings. Now, we should absolutely teach that. We should teach on the purity, absolutely, but it's not an either or. Jesus said it's purity and power and the necessity of that. Do you know that when we walk in, in, when we walk in healing, do you understand that we're extending and revealing God's love and compassion for his people? When people suffer in sickness... God uses us to reveal to him how much he cares for them and wants to liberate them. So, so important. Jesus taught in Luke 4. He said, the spirit of God is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, 
to give sight to the blind. Jesus literally says, the reason why the Spirit of God has clothed me is for this reason. And the same Spirit has clothed us to walk in the very same thing. I've shared this before, but I wonder how much of the church, how much is the church engaged in activities that we don't need the anointing of the Holy Spirit? That's what the Holy Spirit was for. So here's what I want to do. I want to see Jesus as the standard. I want to be a true Christ-centered church that follows Christ. Listen to me. What we have to do, what the Lord was telling us for, for where we have to go today is faith, faith is so essential for breakthrough and healing. Now let me be clear, there are plenty of times where I've heard the complete opposite, and that can absolutely happen. But just because God can do that doesn't mean we should strive for unbelief to show that. We should strive to have faith for God to move in miraculous ways. There may be people right now suffering through sickness, and it has so changed your life. Man, and they're dying, they're dying for someone to come and reveal the glory of God to them and touch them and liberate from them. And so faith is so essential to, to break through for healing. We have to understand this. We could go through many scriptures. The, the Roman centurion whose servant was healed, the woman with the issue of blood, the two blind men on the side of the road. We could go through all of these and show the connection that often Jesus would say something like, your faith has made you well. So important to see how, how faith is coupled with healing. In fact, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Jesus said this. He said he could not do any miracles there. He's speaking about, him, he's speaking about Jesus in his hometown. He said he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The reason he couldn't perform miracles in this place and there couldn't be breakthrough because there was a lack of faith. And here's what the Lord is really teaching me. To, to cultivate a culture of faith here, we have to expose the faulty things that we have believed about sickness and disease and who God is, repent of those things, have our mind renewed to operate with the mind of Christ in order that we would walk like Christ. So we actually have to expose the things that we've believed and say, Lord, I turn from, I'm sorry, God, that I've believed this lie, and I'm going to come into alignment with your truth in order that faith would be activated in this place. Are you following me? So I want to address some of the faulty things that we have believed. Maybe you're in my boat. These are things that I know I've held to. But it's, it's so important that our minds are renewed. And that's what we have to do. We have to have our minds renewed. A renewed mind is not simply having the right biblical answer to a problem. A renewed mind is an entirely new perspective. It's a kingdom perspective. It's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent is metanoia, which means to not just turn from sin, but to change your mindset. Jesus is literally declaring, because the kingdom of God is here, you must repent. You must change the way you think because I am here now and my kingdom is here on this earth. Which means that which you once thought was impossible, that which you once thought was maybe unobtainable or even acceptable, Christ says you have to change it and bring it into alignment with the reality that I am here and the kingdom is here now as well. And the fullness of a renewed mind, as I just shared, is the mind of Christ. That's the end result. And we see what Christ believed and what he thought was possible by the way he lived. And when our mind is renewed to think in terms of kingdom like Christ, we're going to start to live the same way he did. 
The kingdom of God, as we shared last week, is presented in this already not yet, which is absolutely true. Christ has brought the kingdom here, but it will not come in its fullness until he returns. There is a measure, which I fully adhere to, that our mortal bodies could never experience the full glory of the kingdom here and now. But typically, we use that expression to emphasize what is not available for us, what we have to wait for. But in actuality, if you read what Christ was saying, every time he spoke about the kingdom of God, or most of the time, he was emphasizing what is available now. He wasn't saying the kingdom, guys, wait till it comes. He was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here today. So begin to change the way you live. Begin to change what you once thought was hopeless because the kingdom is here and available. Now, I want to be clear with you guys. I want to, be, I want to share this with you and just be really vulnerable with you guys. That I, I shared this with our, our team that's going to pray to, just uh, as we close service. But when it comes to this, the Holy Spirit had to deeply rebuke me this week. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when, when it comes to something like this, speaking on the power of God and the healing of God, that I have a tendency, I realize, the Lord said, this is how it was. Because when I read it, I can read and say, preach salvation, and the moment it gets to, but heal the sick, <laughs> cleanse the lepers, my, my, my voice will start to fade off a little bit. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit has shown me that there's a level, you're embarrassed, aren't you? You're embarrassed, aren't you? And I so, said, yeah, I, I am. And I think a, the part of that embarrassment is because although I've seen some breakthrough, the reality is I've see, I have a lack of experience in seeing these things. And so as of that, I have a fear of speaking on them. And the, and the Holy Spirit had to show me, you cannot allow your experience to dictate what you are preaching. It's so funny. Most that come against charismatics say it's because they're very experience-based rather than the Word of God. <laughs> Actually, what I'm realizing, it's quite the opposite. The Word of God is very clear. What happens is because of our lack of experience, we say, I'm not going to teach this anymore even though I see it rather than getting on our knees and hungering and saying, God, why am I not seeing the breakthrough in my life? And so what happens is, is we actually allow our defeat to determine our theology more than the Word of God. So guilty. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. I know it's all in the scriptures, but you know what, Lord? Therefore, I'm not going to preach it. The Lord says, never, never bring down the word of God. Actually, you preach the word of God and let people's experience rise to it. So even though, even though we may have not experienced this, we're going to keep proclaiming the truth of the scriptures, and we're going to see this breakthrough. And we're going to see the kingdom of God released in this house and in this community. Listen to me. I want to encourage you. Defeat is one of the is the common denominator for not stepping out to take risks when it comes to praying for healing. Totally get it. Maybe some of you have truly, faith, believed, prayed for it, didn't see breakthrough. I'll share more of this in a sec. But there's a measure of unknown, but I, I know that that could lead us to just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to step out. But I want to ask you this question. Let me put it this way. Imagine I would have just preached a pure salvation message today. And imagine not a single person responded. Should I stop preaching the gospel? Does that mean that the ministry of evangelism is not available for today? Does that mean that it's not God's will to save people? Of course not. None of us would say that. Yet why do we apply that when it comes to healing? Do you know that God, Jesus paid the same price on the cross for sickness as he did for sin. He hates it just as much. 
the blood, the blood covers our sins, but by his wounds we are healed. So why do we treat it differently? The Lord had to say, Andrew, you can't treat it differently. I have the same perspective when it comes to that. Listen to the scripture, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 3. So many scriptures will, will point to this, but listen to this. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Listen, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So often in the scriptures, these two things are coupled together because Christ paid the same price for both of them. Some say, well, the life of Jesus ended when the scriptures were canonized. In other words, when they came into completion. So therefore, what Christ modeled, that was just for a season. Come on, we've already come against this so many times. It's not to tear anyone down, but man, we need to just be true to walk in what, what, is, what is the scripture say. Come on, Jesus said, as, as the Father has sent me, what? I send you. I'm the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I, I'm the forerunner. I've gone before you. I've opened a door. Follow me. Jesus lived a life and then releases his life by his spirit into us so that we can follow after him and fulfill the very same mission that he did. Jesus' life isn't restricted to a certain period of time. Isaiah 9-7 says that the, the increase of his government and peace will have no end. In other words, when the Messiah comes, which he came in Jesus, when his kingdom is here, the only thing that will happen is it will continually increase over time. He said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the one who beholds the glory of the Lord, you will be transformed into that same image of glory from one degree of glory to another. Everything in the scriptures speak to this idea of forward movement, everything increasing, everything growing. So why in the world would Jesus reveal a superior standard for which we are to live and then after a few years call us to go back into an inferior standard? He wouldn't. That's why Jesus said, believe in me and you'll do the things that I've done. He says, actually, you'll do even greater things. Haggai 2.9. What a powerful prophetic word God highlighted. Haggai 2.9 says that the glory of the latter house will be far superior than the former. In other words, the house of God, the church of God, will be more glorious than what it once used to be. The last day church will not be a church marked by weakness, but by power and boldness. And this is what God has called all of us into. No one needs to be a spiritual superstar. In the midst of all of our brokenness and wavering, God wants to use each and every one of us. Now let me be clear on something. I do want to, I want to share this. I want to be clear. It kind of goes in lines with, with experiencing defeat, and, and I feel God said I need to share this, is that as we're going to see, and hopefully you're already being stirred, we're going to look at scriptures to see that it's, it's God's will to heal. But we're not exempt from a broken world. And so the reality is, is that there is a measure where we know where God stands, but when we pray, we may not see something take place. Paul even says in some of his letters, he talks about some of his fellow co-laborers who were plagued with ailments at times, and they couldn't get to where they needed to go. But what did he say? He said, pray for them. Paul didn't accept it and say, guys, this is God's will for them. He said, no, we need to pray for them so they can keep doing the mission that God has for them. Here's what I want to say. There's no, we, I couldn't stand up here and guarantee and, and tell you why things happen the way they do. 
But what we do need to be on the same page about is where God stands when it comes to sickness, the price that he's already paid, the, the perfect word he's already spoken, so that we are on one accord to contend for breakthrough. Because if we're not on the same page there, we'll never contend for that. Because we'll always be wondering in the back of our mind, yeah, but what if God, that's exactly what he wants to give to that person? And I want to show through, through, through a few things here just to kind of break that mindset. And here's, here's the first thing is that there's a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign above all. But the problem with that is we've equated it to mean that everything is God's will. Do you know that there's a difference between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God? Jesus returning is his perfect will. It's happening whether or not you believe it. But as I've shared many times, an example of his permissive will is that he desires or wills that none shall perish. But we, again, as we said, we know that people are perishing. Can we blame God for that? Listen, God hasn't sent a single soul to hell. He's made everything available. It's man's choice not to respond to God. If this is the case, see, what this creates is it actually takes man's responsibility out completely. It actually creates an extremely lazy theology then. Because all what we're going to do is we're going to start saying expressions like, well, if it happened, it must have been God's will. If that's the case, then what do we do with someone, someone like Hitler? Is that, was that God's will? Of course not. Listen, God has given something called free will. There's real free will, and as a result, we see the brokenness in this world because of that. And there are things that take place that God is sovereign, but we cannot say that this is what God wanted to happen. Now, the glorious news is that he's good, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we need to understand, we need to be careful, stop attributing things to God that he's never done. Because... <laughs> We walk into children's hospital and we see young, precious lives suffering with severe ailments, diseases that have literally put a timetable on their life. And we go around and say this when one dies, I don't know why God's will was for that child to die, but I'm sure he had a reason. We say things like, well, God works in mysterious ways. And what we're, what we're doing is we're actually attributing those things to God as that's his desire for that life. When he has so spoken his final word about where he stands with sickness, when he had his son ripped open for that. And so what happens when we do this is that we actually, instead of fighting against sickness, we actually try to reason as to why God has allowed it. Listen to me. 2,000 years ago, you go to the to the Christ and to the early church and really for the first thousand years of the church, if you look to them and say, what was their position? Their position is clear. Sickness came from the kingdom of darkness and healing came from God and it was a demonstration of the present reality of God's kingdom here on earth. Every time. That's why I said we need to go back to the original stand and really see where Christ stands on these issues and take back up our inheritance and walk as true followers of Christ. Listen to this scripture and in Acts 10.38, Peter, Peter was uh, in the house of Cornelius, and he was sharing them with Jesus. And I want you to see how the early church had this, what we call more of a, a warfare worldview. And it says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, 
and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him, Peter understood that the healing that was taking place was not a result of God. It was a result of the kingdom of darkness. Again, I want to reiterate this. There's, I can't guarantee anything. But what I feel God wants us to do is get into alignment to actually begin to approach things. And even when we don't see breakthrough, we don't get discouraged, we don't, stop, we don't start blaming God, but we keep hungering to see God move. And we don't stop for that. About two years ago, maybe a little bit less, I, uh, it was actually after we got back from an awesome uh, conference, Jesus conference, I was, working, um, I was working at home and I felt a stitch in my side and I didn't think of much to it, so I got up, started to stretch <laughs> about five minutes I was literally sprawled out on the floor. I thought I was dying. Uh, I was passing a kidney stone or multiple. And they say it's worse than giving birth, but I'm not going to go there. No. <laughs> not going to go there. <laughs> yes. I'm just kidding. I know nothing about that. Um, but I was laid out on the floor, so my wife was like, we got to go to the hospital. And sure enough, it was, uh, I was passing kidney stones. But I, I want to share this. While I was in the hospital, it was so overcrowded, the emergency room. I was in Brookhaven, so you guys know it's, it's, it can get crazy. And, and I just had to get somewhere. I, I literally, like, I thought I was dying. So I'm in, I'm in the emergency room. There's not enough room. It's so overcrowded that I'm laying on a stretcher in the hallway. And there was a moment when I was in, the, when I was in there with my wife where the pain subsided. And because of that, it allowed me to take my eyes off myself for a moment and just kind of recognize where I was. And in that moment, it was such a God moment because I didn't say a word to my wife. She didn't say a word to me. But clearly, the Holy Spirit was leading us into the same thing because when we looked at each other, our eyes were filled with tears. Because as I paused for a moment and began to look around and began to listen, I saw a room filled of the most intense suffering from sickness and disease. I heard the moaning and groaning of individuals who you can tell that their life was slipping away. I heard one woman right across from us that we were so brokenhearted because you could tell from her appearance that she probably had a rough life, maybe not even family around, as she cried out for someone to come to her bedside. As she tried, as she choked for breath and finally Crystal went over there to just pray with her and talk to her. And when I was in that place, I feel the Lord so strongly speak to me and say, this is not how it was meant to be. This is not from the kingdom of life. This is the kingdom of darkness, and God is raising up a people to begin to display his glory by coming against this and contending for breakthrough. Some of us maybe have used this expression. I know I have. And again, this is not to, I, I want to I break things free in your life as I feel the Lord is doing in my life. This is not to condemn if you find yourself wrestling with these things, and I encourage you, go, go, go dig in for yourself, but Many times we've used this expression that sickness is my cross to bear. That actually that this is something that I need to have. Here, here's one of the issues with that. Is that when that happens, all of us know that if we're dealing with a severe disease, every single one of us would most likely go to seek out natural help from a doctor. Right? So here's where that actually begins to fall apart and it doesn't make sense. Is on one side we're saying God has given this to me, yet on the other side we're seeking to get out of it through natural means. 
if we truly believe that this is God's will, why would we ever seek to get out of his will? It wouldn't make any sense. You see, there's a part where I think we all have to stop and say, oh my goodness, actually, I, 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 I'm not actually living in alignment with what I'm declaring. I'm trying to seek to get out of this and really, and I'm actually trying to do it through natural means when, when because I've attributed this thing or I've made the mistake of attributing it to, to God's will for my life. Here's where this comes from. It's because you'd say, well, pastor, when I look in the New Testament scriptures, it's so clear that the life of a follower of Jesus is, is a life that's marked by suffering. Let me be clear. You follow Jesus and you follow him for real. Your life will be marked by suffering. You may lose family. You may lose friends. I can't guarantee any of that. I know that the glory of God eclipses all of that and his intimacy eclipses all of that. But every time Jesus spoke about that, even when it came to rejoicing over that, the suffering he was talking about was persecution. He wasn't talking about sickness. He was talking about being persecuted for their faith. And some say, well, what about the Old Testament? The Israelites, I saw times where they were plagues. They, were, they received plagues. Listen to me. We don't have enough time to unpack all this, but the cross, the cross of Christ changes everything. Because if someone were to say, well, what about plagues that hit the people of God? I would say this, okay, do you still practice animal sacrifices? Of course not, because Jesus' cross changed that. Do you still go to a, a high priest to ask for forgiveness? Of course not, because Jesus is our high priest. We all live a life recognizing that the cross has changed everything. But yet we fail to apply to that, because I think it's a deeper issue. But I'll give you an even deeper explanation to it. The Old Testament you have to remember that the people of God were in covenant, but they were in covenant with God according to the law. And the law said if you can't fulfill the entire law, you fall under the curse of the law. You see, if, I, if my mother says, don't touch that stove, you'll get burnt. If I touch that stove and get burnt, did my mother burn me? No, 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 no. If you actually understand how the covenant works and how the curse of the law meant that they should have deserved the full wrath of God right away, you actually understand that the same merciful God in the New Testament is evident in the Old Testament. He had every right to allow, because they broke the law, to allow the full wrath to come upon them, but he withheld it over and over until finally one came, Jesus Christ. And then the full wrath of God was poured out on him. And that is why from that moment, everything now changes and we can go out and pray for the sick. Come on, we're, teaching, we're just teaching through these things. I want you to... People say, look, I'm, I'm not afraid to go into the areas that I know that there's questions because I want you to know who I am. I don't just take things and just say, well, this is the truth. I dig into the word. If I'm going to proclaim something, I want to see it in scriptures. So here's another one. People often then point to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Clearly, here's evidence that God gave sickness to someone. Well, let's read it for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And this is what it says. So, to keep, so Paul was having incredible revelations of God. So this is where it starts. Verse 7. Should be on the screen. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So first off, many of us probably can't even apply just because of that. But 
I don't know if you're having these type of revelations. I know I desire it, but this is what was going on with Paul. But nevertheless, let's put that aside. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This expression of a messenger of Satan to harass me would be such a peculiar way to describe sickness being sent to him. It's almost widely believed that those are actually digging into the scriptures that this means one of two things. It's either a human enemy or some type of demonic thing that was sent against Paul. But when you actually dig even deeper into the scriptures, you see that three times there is a reference of a thorn in a person's body. All in the Old Testament, which Paul would have been well-versed in because of his training. And every single time that a thorn is referenced to going into a human's body, it says sometimes his eye, his side, it's always referencing a human enemy. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, you know that he had many He had Judaizers who said he preached a cheap grace because he preached Christ without the law. He had believers who said, you're not a real apostle because you're not with the original. And he had many who said, I doubt the authenticity of your conversion because I know of your history and your persecution of the church. Now, there's a measure of unknown to this, but if anything, the overwhelming evidence speaks to the fact that the thorn in the flesh, the last thing it is is a sickness It's most likely that God wouldn't take away these people who continually came against Paul and reminded him of his past and who he was. Here's another one. Isn't teaching on healing like this the prosperity gospel? Listen to this. Isn't this what healers and televangelists and money mongers talk about, healing like this? So we got to break this open. Because this is such a ploy of the enemy. Listen to me. This is not to put any movement down, but this was rooted in the word of faith movement that started with teaching on an unhealthy obsession with material blessing if you follow Christ. We don't come into alignment with that. But here's what happened. is As they were teaching this, it began to kind of take a form of its own, and they began to declare that if you give financial blessing, healing can be for you. So there came this expression of the health and wealth gospel. And they said, anytime you then teach on wealth or or health, it always got grouped in with the prosperity gospel. My friends, if the prosperity gospel is having faith in Jesus Christ for divine healing because he was ripped open for that, then Jesus Christ is the greatest prosperity teacher of all time. That's crazy. And it's such a ploy of the enemy to get us to, in the church, to begin to say, no, 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 preach on healing, preach on what Jesus was ripped open for. That's prosperity? then Jesus stands at the top of the list. Look at this, Matthew 4. I'm just going to share a few. I could have went on forever just with this. Matthew 4, 23. Listen to the wording. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing one disease, some disease, every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 12, 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. A large crowd. 
Matthew 15, 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he laid them at his feet and he healed them, all of them. Mark 3.10, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. We haven't begun to scratch the surface of all of the Gospels. Guys, we have to crack open this, these things that have been taught that we can just grab a hold of and say, no, no, don't teach on health because that's something prosperous. No, that's the kingdom. God's glory is found in that. And if you've contended for a break and you haven't seen it, I, again, I understand there's a measure of unknown. But, man, all, all I want to provoke you today is to be on the same page with where God stands and where we need to stand as a church and keep believing for this. Jesus, we need to keep this in mind. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. We can't miss this. Whatever we think we know about the Father, the perfection of it is found in Jesus. The Word of God declares that. Jesus doesn't just reveal a New Testament aspect of God. There's no different sides. He reveals the fullness of God. Why? Because he is God. Jesus literally says, you see me, you see the Father. We just read through the scriptures. Jesus didn't turn people away. He was advancing the kingdom. He was proclaiming the good news. He was healing them, and people were seeing the power and glory of God. So if Jesus is healing everyone, but the Father's will is for them to be sick, we have a divided house. And Jesus said a divided house can't stand. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. Come on, we, we need to grab hold of this and run with what Jesus is speaking to us. How can God not desire to heal when he's already purchased the price for it? He's already paid the price. Did the stripes that Jesus bore on his back for us, did those only last for 30 years? Come on. The stuff that he paid for is eternal. There's no cross again. He's paid for it, and he calls us to walk in it. Here's another one. Didn't Jesus rebuke signs? I thought I, thought I read in scriptures that Jesus said that, that, that you shouldn't seek after that. It's true. He did say that. But let's read it in his context so we understand. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 4, he said, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are demanding a sign. We say, well, that's it then. We shouldn't be even talking about this. Not so fast. <laughs> because in the chapter before, Jesus just got done feeding 4,000 through a miraculous sign of provision. Is Jesus rebuking himself? Why would he do that? Mark 16, when he sends the disciples out in the Great Commission, he says, go and preach the gospel. And these signs will follow those who believe. So is Jesus just kind of messed up? He's contradicting himself? Not at all. Here's the difference. Jesus wasn't rebuking these Pharisees and Sadducees for demanding a sign to strengthen their faith. He was rebuking them because they were looking for another reason to remain in unbelief. They actually, the sign they were looking for was actually not even a, a proper sign. It was a natural sign, the weather. And Jesus was saying, guys, I am demonstrating true signs as me as the Messiah you're just looking for another reason to stay where you are. He wasn't rebuking signs. Jesus actually said this. He says, look, in John, John 10, 37 to 38, he basically says, look, you don't believe in me? Okay, but at least believe in the works that I come from my Father. He understood that what he was doing was actually a way to, to win people by demonstrating the power of God. I'm going to ask uh, just Brittany and Caesar to come forward.
So as we get ready to close, I'm just going to cut it off there. I, I truly believe that God has placed it on, on my heart and the other leaders here that we want to we pray for people here today. I want to be clear that I'm not interested, as we shared even last week, I'm not interested in hype. I'm not, I'm not interested in offering a false hope. I'm not interested in, in trying to stir something up, this emotionalism, to try to get God to do something. I'm just simply trying to look at the scriptures, see what Jesus has called us into and walk in it. There's so many testimonies I could share. There's stuff happening all over this world, all over this country of incredible breakthrough. It's amazing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of persecution against it from the church. It's amazing. It's the same thing that happened to Jesus. He demonstrated power, and the religious come up against him and say, no, no, I don't want to see that. That's fake. That's false. Come on. If, 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 listen, there, there's such a misunderstanding. If Jesus Christ is being glorified, it's not fake. If Christ is receiving the glory for a healing, it's not false. And there's just so much stuff that's coming against. And I just, I just sense God saying, man, we need to walk in the truth of God. And don't be surprised that the persecution that comes, who is Jesus persecuted by? We always say persecution's coming. Yeah. Jesus wasn't persecuted really by the lost. It was by the religious who said, you can't do this. What is this power that you work with? This is the spirit of Beelzebub. This is a demonic spirit. You know, there's, there's so many incredible testimonies we could just share. There's testimonies in this room we did before, before service of incredible breakthrough. And some of those people are going to be praying because I believe they have a faith. They have a faith to pray for breakthrough in your life. But there was one testimony I was reading actually last night. There's a man by the name of Dr. Randy Clark who I, I deeply honor because he is so thorough to be in the scriptures and so thorough to, to contend for, for make sure that it's authentic. And, and anything that he writes is just incredible. I, I encourage you to read it. But he shares, he shares one testimony that I want to just share with you. I was reading it last night, and he said that he was at one of his meetings. And this, the meeting was actually meant to be for impartation for younger people. He wanted to pray for younger people, most likely going to ministry, that God would just release certain things that would strengthen them in their ministry. This was actually one of the few times he didn't want to pray for healing. And what happened was, is if anyone wanted healing, or if they were over 29, they were being redirected to other rooms. And this lady came up to him, and uh, he said that when she came up, she was shaking pretty uncontrollably. And so he was convinced that, he said, maybe the power of God's touching, I don't know. But what he found out was that she had Parkinson's disease. And she looked like she was in her 60s, she was really only 49 years old. And at first he said, look, you need to go, you need to go upstairs, you need to go to the other room. You're over 29, and we're not doing healing today. We're not praying for that. And he kind of looks back and is like, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> but, um, but she said, I've already been there, and they prayed for me, and nothing happened. And she said, the Lord said I need to come, and I need to have you pray for me. And he kind of got frustrated. He's like, no, you need to go another place. And said, look, I got a pamphlet the other day. I saw this was going on. She said, when I saw it, the Lord said I need to come here and have you pray for me. She had no idea who he was, no idea of, of breakthrough that's happened through his ministry, but she said, I need to be here. And so he says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. It's sometimes easier just to pray rather than argue. He says, I was just going to say, come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> when he put his hands on her and he said, come, he had his eyes closed. The next thing you know, he heard a thump. <laughs> he looked down, and this woman was just so touched by the power of God. He said, I've seen this before, so he just went on praying for other people. 
he came back a little bit later and wound up going up to the husband. And he went to the husband and said, what does Parkinson's disease do to you? And he said, it destroys your neurological system. He said, a normal human being has about 800, I think it's million, I don't know, right, 800 million brain cells, but she has only 50,000 left. She got to a point, the reason why she was begging him, she said, you have to pray for me because I was just in the store the other day with my husband and when I was walking through the store, I have such a, a loss of control of my body that I just, I just urinated myself. My husband has to hold me up. I have a two-year-old granddaughter who I've never been able to hold because my child is afraid I'm gonna drop them. And so here's this woman crying for breakthrough. He says, come Holy Spirit, when he says, come. She gets touched by the power of God. He finds out what Parkinson's disease really does. So he goes back to her and prays over her and lays his hands on her head. She starts screaming that something hurts. He's saying, no, more, Lord. She's saying, no, this hurts. And no, more, Lord. And so uh, in the midst of it, she stops, and then she raises her hand up. And she realized that she was raising her hand because for the first time ever, her hand wasn't shaking. And so then what happened was she got up, and she just knew that God had touched her. And she said, can I go on stage? And so he said, look, this is your moment. You were just so touched by God. So she brought up on stage and said, I want to bring my husband, too. And she said, do you have a piano? I said, yeah. And it turns out that she used to be a worship leader, and her and her husband would sing worship together. And what happened was is a few years prior to that, she was playing worship, and in the midst of the song, she went blank. And she was so humiliated that she walked off, and a week later she found out she had Parkinson's. So picture this. This woman whose just life is just falling apart gets touched by God. She comes up on stage. She brings her husband, and she gets on the piano. And she begins to play. And her and her husband begin to sing in front of this whole congregation. The entire place, you can imagine, not a dry eye in there. And she sang this. And he said he wrote it down after because it so touched him. She sang this. She said, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. For something happened and now I know. He touched me and he made me whole. I want you to know that that healer is in this room right now. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.